0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy uh, TVT starts this weekend for us. Happy post-ACC Media Days. Uh, What else we got? 40 days till college football?
0: We got, like, yeah, we got less than 40 days till college football. Uh, La Familia uh, debuted on uh, Q's TV on Tuesday.
1: Yes, that a was, long-awaited mini hard knocks type show, which was I thought the first episode was, uh, you know, what you wanted to be. So I
0: thought it was. Awesome. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was more fun than I thought. Like I anticipated. I mean, I guess I shouldn't have undersold the uh, the video team after the great work they've done over the past year or so. But it was fun. Like I said, I don't know where the hell they've been hiding Mo Neal this entire time because Mo was a great host and really should have seen more of him for the past three years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. Even like the guys like Sisto and Frederick, who were more towards the end, did a really nice job. And then you have guys like Kendall Coleman, who I thought really had a super say, like a breakout moment because it wasn't on the field, but like you know, really sh- came through in the in the AC media days. And I, I hope that with this like ten win season under our belt, that we get to start meeting some of these guys as personalities rather than just like you know Dungy and whoever else was like been trotting out there for the last couple of years, as we know they are. Pretty well media training. Like it'll be nice to see some of these these other players that we've seen on the field for a couple of years now just have their personality shine through. Because I thought they were pretty much everyone they featured in that video. And then uh, both Devito and Coleman at Media Days were all very impressive and, and um, you know easy guys to root for.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, getting a little bit more on like Neal's backstory. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of guys with similar sort of backstories on the team. And like, you know, l- l- let's hear about them. Like, like, we don't have to wait for you know a Syracuse.com feature. Uh, you know, to, to hear these sorts of stories, I, I I'd love to to just meet more of these guys. Um, you know, through this series, and hopefully we get to we, we get to see as many of them as possible um, in however many episodes this uh, series runs.
1: Yeah, it's just a, such an easy way to. It's, I mean, I obviously the ten wins does most of the legwork, but it's such an easy way to have your fan base connect to the players and get to know them more uh, more personal, like, not personally direct, you know, person to person, but. Like, they get a sense of who these people are, and I think that just adds another element to the fandom, which is what you want when you're selling more season tickets, and obviously uh, the the program in general has just done a great job of elevating itself over the last year, so I really enjoyed that first episode. Looking forward to next week, which looks like we'll get some some feature on the jerseys, the new uniforms, which I know we're all uh, anticipating seeing more of after the rollout a couple weeks ago. but it's just cool to see us doing these things that other big-time programs have been doing for a couple of years and doing them well, which is nice.
0: Yeah, who would have thought that we have a, you know, the the top communication school in the country? <laughs> yes, Just, just, just yes. snuck up on everyone. Um, I guess keeping with football, uh, before we move into Bayheim's Army, which plenty of people probably want to hear more about, um, as we mentioned, ACC Football Kickoff, a.k.a. Media Days, was last week down in Charlotte. Um, they had predicted – uh, standings from the uh, media members in attendance. Syracuse is picked second in the Atlantic, which is the highest we've ever been picked in the ACC. Um, obviously, Clemson is in front of us. I don't blame anyone uh, for putting them there, nor should you. Syracuse got a couple first place votes. Uh, whatever. I, I'm not going to judge you if you if you log the votes. I'm going to judge you a little bit,
1: <laughs> to be honest.
0: I mean, like, I, I guess for me, like, because it was so few of them. Like I'm not necessarily going to like lose my mind about it. I think I, I thought it was stupid. And like, I, I, I mean, we've talked about this, like every single, every single time, especially if it's like a digital outlet, every single time a digital outlet does something like super, super Homer um, centric in like a shared setting like that, where there's a lot of traditional media, it does make it a little bit harder for digital publications to uh, get credentialed or, or, or get access um, so, I mean, I, I don't know exactly who logged the votes, so it's hard to make that generalization specific to this event, but I, I would say that that would be my one qualm in general it, it, is, is the kind of, you know, uh, chilling effect it potentially have.
1: Yeah. It's just, obviously like we're all Syracuse fans. We hope the team to do well. We hope they do beat Clemson in the Atlantic, uh, somehow. Um, it just doesn't look good, uh, when you have Homer votes and it and it, you know, because these things aren't shared publicly, like. It kind of reflects on the whole Syracuse media sphere, which is unfair. Um, when I think most of the people involved are very good and uh, are able to balance, like whether whether the newspaper people were pretty down the middle, or they're you know a team's a team oriented site that does want the team to do well. I think most of the Syracuse media sphere does a really nice job of keeping things in perspective. Um, so when you have stuff like that, it just it, it doesn't reflect well in general. Obviously, it's not, we're not the only school that has people that do these kind of things. Um, but it's just kind of dumb when it's so obvious that, like, yeah, you should be voting for Clemson if you're going to take your take your job seriously here. Uh, but if you're going to do that like that, I think you should take it seriously. Not to be, like, the fun police, but, you know, it, it's, it's a, it, you know, not everyone gets to go cover things at ACC Media Days like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, we have not had a presence at uh, ACC Media Days um, at all, unfortunately, because none of us are based in North Carolina. And, you know, my usual once a year or so trip down to that state uh, has not aligned with media days to date. Maybe it will someday. Um, the other more fun thing, I guess, that, uh, that we got out of media days was uh, the All-ACC team, which included four Syracuse players, which is a, uh, a new high for the preseason team. Um, Andre Sisco made it. Alton Robinson made it. Uh, Andre Schmidt made it. And uh, Sterling Hoffrichter made it. No real surprises there uh, like I said in the, in, in the post, I guess the one guy I would maybe even like sort of consider would be like Evan Adams, but I understand why he didn't make it. Um, again, all, all this is fine. None of this matters because you know what, like Alden Robinson and Andre Cisco and Andre Schmidt weren't on last year's preseason, all ACC team. And that worked out pretty well for them.
1: Yeah. And I thought that was all well-deserved. I saw some people were, you know, I thought we should even have more uh, representation, which, uh, mostly with Coleman, um, who was very similar to Robinson that but last year. And, and I think that's fair, but you know, there's a lot of players to be going around here. Uh, but the fact that we got four guys and four, you know, very well uh, deserved guys on this list is impressive. And uh, it's nice to, to a, have like a decent representation, and then be in a position where you could kind of rightfully think, Oh wait, there probably could or should be some more there. Uh, it's a very different world than we were used to where like we would be pretty thrilled if we got like one guy in the preseason first team um which so you know our whole our, our lot as a program has changed so drastically from where we were a year ago um it's kind of an adjustment period to like get used to it and and hopefully that we, we are able to prove uh that this wasn't like a one-year flash in the pan which i don't think either of us uh believes it was um so it's cool and it, and it seems like we we definitely have gotten this uh extra respect that we we definitely earned last season on the field and, and others aren't treating it like a potential flash in the pan either
0: yeah i mean that was the one thing that we've kind of said in the past like when when acc media didn't give a shit about syracuse players or or didn't really you know pay much mind to us um in terms of the projected standings like okay it's just like anything else in in college sports in particular um just go win just go win and 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 everyone's paying attention to you and and, and you know this is kind of the result of that you know obviously i think that I think that, you know, all ACC votes are not the only mark of success, but they are a good judge of kind of where the program's headed. And you saw that pretty me- immediately. Um, and, and, and part of that too, I think, is a media perception thing with, when it comes to the coach and the coaching staff. You know, I, I, think, I think Schaefer pissed off enough people in the ACC media pool that I'm sure no one was really all that anxious to vote for um, his players if they could potentially avoid it. I think now, you know, Dino's a really likable guy. He's a great quote. Um, he's someone who, you know, is happy to interact with media. So people are happy to give a vote if they think a guy, if they pick up between a couple guys and maybe they like Dino better than another coach. And like, you know, the media poll again, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter. It's just a factor here. The only thing I would even have potential issue with is really just that Clemson has four of the five offensive linemen. And like, while I think Clemson might have like four, like the seven or eight best linemen in the league. I think there's probably some room for a couple other guys in there uh, that I might have uh, slotted in instead.
1: Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think the Dino thing um, like, really plays off. Like, I think if we had a coach that wasn't as media-friendly uh, and hasn't done so much like, kind of low-key legwork in terms of selling his program to the media at large, even though it doesn't really seem like that's what he's trying to do all the time, um, we wouldn't be getting the same amount of love. Like, it's so easy to root for Dino. That I think uh, that's helped uh, help kind of transition from like, oh, they just won 10 games, but that's definitely not what they're going to do all the time to like, no, people are buying in One um, of the advantages of having a super, like maybe, I said, I said this during media days on Twitter, I think, like maybe the most personable coach in college football. Definitely like among the tops, uh, especially in the Power Five where like people generally know who these people are.
0: It's probably close. I mean, he, he picks his spots too, which I think is like an underrated skill. For Dino, where, where he, you know, like he's talked to us. He's, he obviously talks to Syracuse.com pretty regularly, but then like nationally, like he just picks the places where he wants to be and, and, and finds himself quoted in the right places at the right time. And I I, I, I think that that there's a talent to that. Um, that, that he, it seems is unique to him. Um, as far as current college football coaches,
1: he's, he's really good at, uh, giving you, what seems like more than most coaches give you without doing something that most coaches would like, he knows how how much to give to the media and the fans without giving anything like of super important way. Um, and like, it's almost like a little bit of a magic trick, but so many other coaches are so bad or just do not care at all that it comes off so much better than probably it even is like in reality. Uh, and that's to his credit cause, like, he plays the game and he knew taking over the Syracuse job was going to be tough. Um, and you need to play the team to win people over through the first four, two, four and eight seasons. And I think that's part of the reason why we were able to have more patience with him. A, because we saw some baseline results with the Virginia tech and the Clemson wins and being more competitive in some of these other games um, before the 10 win season. Uh, but like, I think a different coach who had the same exact first two seasons might not have been given the same kind of slack because of how Dino, has treated the job and treated the fan base, treated the media. Um, so it's just, you know, it. You really it's impossible for us to really knock anything Dino's done so far, um, but that's just one thing that I think has been really appreciated uh, on top of, then, the, the breakout season and the, you know, looking forward to what seems like a pretty bright future here.
0: Of course, of course. Um, I guess moving on from football a little bit here in the first half of the episode, uh, Beheim's Army tips off on... Friday and that should be fun we're facing we are d3 um Dan who's your favorite player on this team because uh, th- th- there's a lot of guys to choose from I know I mentioned in an article today Wednesday just like kind of how this team feels different there's like some sort of redemptive factor to a lot of these guys because you know other than Hakeem Warwick everyone else kind of fell short of perhaps what they wanted and for what Syracuse fans wanted for some really great teams
1: um, that's tough to answer because this is uh, like, you wrote today, that's such a new look. Bayhawks army team where we have like some, obviously devendorf has been like the face of the team basically since the start and like Ward's played a bunch. I think Watkins has played previous years. AO has played previous years, Trish. Uh, I know there's, there's questions about some of those guys' availability going forward. I think Trish is dealing with a uh, minor injury that he doesn't want to exacerbate. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, but like Andrew White's new, uh, D.J. Johnson, who obviously was at Chiefs for a little bit and then transferred and went on to a really, really aggressive career at LaSalle's new. Chris McCullough gets to really, you know, pick up the the pieces from a a very short Syracuse career. Um, Mike Benechet, he's on the team for the first time. Uh, It's tough to, like, pick a a favorite guy here. Um, I'm really excited about these new guys just because we've added length, we've added shooting, um, we've added youth which I think are all uh, important things that we've come to learn in this tournament. Um, And then we still have like the guys like Gillen and Divendorf and Warwick who have experience in this tournament and kind of know what the gameplay is like. So um, on paper, I think this is possibly the best Bayhams Army team. Um, And then you throw in like Jordan Crawford, who might be the best player on the team, even though he didn't go to SU, but it's probably the, aside from Warwick, you know, a decade ago, it's probably the longest NBA track record. Um, and even guys like Johnson and White are like fringe NBA guys themselves. Like, it's it's a pretty impressive bunch. And I think if you're going to win this thing, like, this, this year's as good a chance as any. Um, but I kind of have to see them play before I really, you know, pick one of them out. Otherwise, I'm going to default to like a guy like AO or a guy like uh, Trish, who I have like personal experience with from my time at SU watching them.
0: Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think, you know what, especially with these alumni teams for uh, the basketball tournament, I think there's. There's going to be a lot more affinity for the guys that were there while you were on campus. Um, the, the, the big thing for me, you know, is just, like I said in the piece, like th- th- this team adjusted and like it's not that Beheim doesn't make adjustments, he does, but he doesn't adjust to this extent and to this extreme the way they went. And, and I think, again, in a good way where they saw last year, like you and I last year at this time were talking about, oh, like Beheim's Army should win this event because they have more size. Little did we know that the Elam ending and just you know basketball trends in general, we're going to push the entire game to the perimeter where SU only had you know a handful of shooters and they weren't really going to be able to keep up with a more running style. I think adding adding so much length and adding so many guys who can hit from outside. I mean, no, you don't have necessarily like a sharpshooter the way you did, um, you know, James Sutherland in previous seasons, but like Andrew White's close, um, obviously. You know, Trish, if he's healthy, like, can hit from outside. Um, B.J. Johnson it, it proved himself a pretty capable scorer. John Gillen had his moments. Benajay had his moments. Like, Jordan Crawford, like you said, is probably the best player on the team. Like, th- there's definite, there's an ability to play a different style of, of offense than Syracuse plays um, in practice with Jim Beheim, And I think that's really the big difference this year versus previous years where I don't think this team is necessarily going to be as much of a reflection of – um, Syracuse basketball under Jim Boeheim as much as it's going to be players who played under Jim Beheim, and, and that's really what kind of bonds them together more than just like more than anything else
1: yeah it's really impressive you know this event I think it's, the players definitely take it seriously there's a lot of money on the line They're each standing to make like 150 grand if they win it um, but I think I think uh, Kevin Bellby who's managed his team since the start and Ryan Lackwell who's coaching it um, have done a really nice job of like uh, changing things up and, and going and and not just settling for the same guys. Like they've done a really interesting job. Obviously, so going to get a guy like Crawford. Um, I forget who on the team really recruited him. Devo. Uh, okay, and then and then you know going and getting you know binaget BJ, Riccola, um, White. Like that's a lot of legwork for guys who are busy and who are trying to get their careers. You know, keep their careers going elsewhere. Off, you know, across the globe, basically. Get uh, them to buy in um, shows like a real dedication that, you know, this is a fun event. I think for the fans, like, you know, what, if if this team loses, like it'll be disappointing for a couple hours a day, maybe, but like we move on, but they take it very seriously. Like they're playing to win this thing. And um, I think uh, every year we kind of, we almost like surprise ourselves with how, uh, how much everyone gets into it. So um, I'm just really impressed with, with how they've taken like a kind of professional approach and, and adapting to how the game has changed every year, and and really not resting on the laurels of like, oh, we'll just run it back with the same like eight guys, and, and you know hopefully it goes well.
0: Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think that's a unique thing for this team versus maybe Syracuse. Again, Beheim's not one to necessarily run it back, but at the same time, like he's not necessarily one to to change things that seem to be working to an extent. Um, obviously, he's a Hall of Fame coach and knows more than he knows more now than I ever would in a thousand lifetimes. But, but at the same time, yeah, I, I think the adjustments are great. I think it's great to see some new blood in there because realistically the core of this team is getting older and isn't necessarily going to be able to do this to the same level as long, especially as the alumni teams seemingly get younger, get more NBA experience. Um, I'm looking forward to, to this weekend and hopefully you know, longer uh, in this tournament. Dan, do you do you think we're going to win it all, I, knowing last year that we were kind of in the same boat? Albeit for different reasons, thinking that, that Bayhimes Army was going to take home the title.
1: You know what? I, I have no reason not to just be a homer here. Um, I think they're going with this thing eventually. Uh, this team is really, like, on paper, looks really good. I think they've corrected some of the issues we've had in the past. We have a year with Elam ending under our belt. Um, we have a ton of shooting. I mean, there's probably six or seven guys on this team that are really, really capable three-point shooters. Um, I, I'll take them. I, I, I have no reason not to. Uh, I'm very tired of overseas elite uh, winning this thing, so I'll go with the uh, with the good guys here, and, and hopefully this this is a couple of fun weeks. It usually does, so uh, I'm excited to get back into it.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll t- I'll take some Syracuse sports. I'll take some content. No argument from me um, at all. Makes it much easier to do my job when uh, when Beheim's Army keeps winning. Uh, on that note, though, uh, why don't we hear a word from our sponsor? And we're back to talk a little bit about beer. Dan, I know you've been traveling, so what have you been drinking?
1: Yeah, I was down in the South uh, this weekend, which accounts for my voice sounding the way it does. Um, I had a couple of things from down there—a decent amount of Westbrook, which is probably the most well-known craft brewery in South Carolina, uh, where I was. Uh, had some some one claw, had some of their doses, had a bunch of their doses because I was on the boat one day, and that's uh, a good outdoor beer. Um, also had some uh, Sea Quench from Dogfish Head, which is not a Carolina beer, it's a Delaware beer, but also a really, really good summer outdoor beer. Um, had a Strawberry Lemonade Doza from Sycamore up in North Carolina, uh, which was uh, another you know light drinkable. I was really focused on like the sessions because I was outside a lot. Um, and then not a ton else uh, super new. Um, unfortunately, I didn't try too much new stuff from down there, but... Some of the, uh, the the standbys from whenever I visit.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I uh, on my end, uh, I am still in New York for Monday night after we recorded last week. So I went over to Dinosaur Barbecue in Troy, had some uh, hop sounds from Single Cut Beersmiths, their uh, Kolsch, had some flower power from Ethica Beer Company, because always make sure to get some of that whenever I'm back east. Um, stopped over at Brown's Brewing Company in Troy and had their uh, Closet Freak uh lager and then their vienna lager they were both pretty good um, had some peeper and lunch from main beer co and then out here uh, had alternate futures a west coast ipa from hop saint uh over in torrance that i've mentioned a couple times uh really really good crisp beer from them uh, really enjoyable and then, uh luponic distortion from uh, Firestone walker the uh, the latest iteration in that series uh super good super drinkable i think it's like five and a half percent or so so that one was, uh, you know, another winner. Um, also had at uh, Abigail Brewing in uh, in Hermosa Beach, had their uh, Hurley McSurley Pilsner. It's a German style Pilsner, nice, uh, crisp. Had for the first time in a while a fresh squeezed IPA from Deschutes. Uh, always forget how good that one is. Like uh, within a couple weeks of uh, of canning, bottling, or uh, or thrown in a keg, and then of course um, the the drug that I forgot existed. Uh, grapefruit Sculpin that I just, like, had just not picked up in a while and then grabbed one at a bar and, and you know, fell in love yet again.
1: It just feels, like, too easy. Just, it's always
0: it, 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 it's, it's so damaging, like, just how easy that beer is to drink, and which is, which is, I think, why I stopped drinking it so regularly because it's just too easy to down a couple, and then suddenly you're, you know, you've had two 7% beers back-to-back, and you're like, eh, and don't really feel like... I'm exactly where I wanted to be on the beginning part of tonight.
1: That is just like so easy to find now and has been for a while, probably since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. Like it almost feels like lazy to grab it. And then there's still like, if you're not at like an awesome, awesome beer bar um, and just like a pretty decent one, there's still a good chance that they'll have it and it'll be the best beer on tap. And like, you don't want to be lazy, but then you're like, Oh yeah, it's just really, really good.
0: I would agree. Um, Dan, for the rest of this time, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Big 12, um, a conference that Syracuse is not in. We're getting closer and closer to the ACC, however. Um, There's actually just one more episode before we get to the ACC. Um, But, yeah, the Big 12 is interesting. Um, West Virginia is not going to be all that good this year, which is enjoyable. Um, Kansas might suck that they might be entertaining just because of less Miles. And I think Texas is not going to win the league. Dan, your thoughts?
1: Uh, Yeah, I back all this up. I'm actually a little bit more bullish on West Virginia immediately um, just because I think Brown's a really good coach. They have Dale Brown from Troy who fell into their laps because no one else hired him for some reason for like three years. Um, and then a bunch of other schools made very strange hires. Uh, and, that, and, and they have – well, I think actually it depends on if Austin Kendall can play right away. Um, the Oklahoma quarterback transfer who – I think has a chance to be like just a really rock solid college quarterback. If he can go right away, I think West Virginia is probably like a a mid tier, maybe a mid tier bowl team if other things kind of pick up quicker than you think with a coaching change. Um, But it's not like they got, they, uh, Brown inherited like an empty cupboard there. So I think it depends on what the quarterback situation looks like. Um,
0: Yeah. I I, I definitely buy that. I think there's a, I think one of the things, contribution from my Doug. Um, I, I, I think one of the things this, to keep in this mind.
1: A, this is <laughs> a reenactment of the uh, last two Syracuse West Virginia bowl games. <laughs>
0: Christ. <laughs> I, I think the one thing with with West Virginia is that last year's team was very good in like the starting twenty two, but there was only so much that you could really bank on in terms of elite talent beyond that group. So I think because they're only returning like nine or ten starters, uh, this could be like kind of them coming to grips with that reality. Um, I, I think that Holgo recruited well enough. Um, I think that Neil Brown is going to do well here. I just think that year one might be a little bit of a reset, and that that reset might only mean, you know, five and seven or six and six, though, depending on what some of the programs at the bottom of the Big 12 do.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's closer to, like, I'd be a little surprised if they were worse than, like, five and seven. Uh, it just doesn't feel like a total, like, you know, raise the entire structure. We need to rebuild more than like a uh, Brown needs to implement his stuff, and then they'll be good to go in like two or three years. Versus like Miles at Kansas, obviously has been that program has been at the bottom for a, over a decade now. Um, even Kansas State, I think, is a trickier rebuild because I think the cupboard there is a little bit more bare because uh, the Bill nature Snyder, of
0: Snyder recruiting.
1: Yeah, Bill Snyder basically spent that t- like most of his time there piecing together like random walk-ons and transfers from Jukos that no one's ever heard of, and, like, just casting some wizard spells, and then it turned into eight wins. Um, And I think Cliven, while an accomplished coach, um, probably needs to find a more uh, technically sound way to put that program together. Um, So that may require more of a, like, uh, you know, we had a bottom-out first tier. So... I think West Virginia is just a little bit of a different situation than those. Uh, and this was also the weirdest way to start a Big Twelve preview. We you mentioned Texas once. We did not say the word Oklahoma. Um, we talked about West Virginia off the bat, even though they are going to be at best probably like the seventh or eighth best team in the conference.
0: Started from um, the bottom. Now we're here.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know how much time we need to devote to like Kansas, other than like last mile starting Kansas is hilarious and a thing that. Was like one of those things that was like rumored for a while, but if you like thought about it for more than a second, you're like, "Oh, why would he do that?" And then he did it. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it'll make them like watchable at least. They're probably going to go like three and nine or four and eight. I think they pull a random upset somewhere.
1: Yeah, Actually, I don't don't go for it. I don't know that like less is going to get chances back to even where they were when they were going to the Orange Bowl randomly. No, definitely. I do think a lot of people have really made fun of this hire. I think there's something to be said when you're as bad as Kansas has been just raise the floor a bit. Like less isn't going to get them to like some, some great uh, heights. I don't think I think that he's past his prime as a coach, but if he can raise the floor to like where their bad seasons are five wins or even four wins versus one win or no wins, like that is improvement. And then that's something you can sell to a new younger coach. Maybe he can help find that new younger coach. Um, So I do think, I think there's reason to think like, like, Les Miles thing is not a long term vision, but there's reason to say like, hey, if we can get this thing to like where we can scratch a bowl and then we move on and we work our way up from there, that's so much better than where they've been through like three coaching cycles now. So I get it. And I get why it's easy to make fun of. But you can't say like building Kansas is not like building almost any other program. Um So that's why I've been like kinda of defensive of Les Miles thing.
0: Hey, I, I think it was a fine hire. And you know what, look, I'm looking at this home schedule. I mean like also, keep keeping in mind that like Puka Williams is a pretty good running back, but like looking at this home schedule, like Indiana State, Coast of Carolina, West Virginia, like Oklahoma's a loss, but like Texas Tech, K- Kansas State, Baylor, like is there other than Oklahoma? There's no like guaranteed loss there.
1: No, it all depends on how these like some of the middle to bottom Big Twelve teams are. Yeah, and totally. If less Le- 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 gets them to the point where they're competing and they can steal one or two. Like, that's such a better place than they were. Um, it just the, the, the middle of this league is super weird, and that's where you wonder if, like, Kansas can find a place where they can strap straight by with some of those or if they're still going to be totally outmanned for, like, a year or two here.
0: Hey, I honestly think that they can – I think they can hit four this year, but I think they'll look – they'll hit four and look like they might be able to do more next year, and I think, I think they do jump up and, and, like, smack somebody in the mouth.
1: That's that's really tangible progress for them. They were they they're really bad.
0: Um, yeah, forward, hilariously forward,
1: bad. It, a, a, a like a two thousand and uh, like a two thousand and what sixteen Syracuse four wins would look really good on Kansas this year.
0: Oh yeah, I, I think that that's an, that's an attainable and a realistic goal for them. Um, let's switch to the top half of this league though before things get super weird. Um, Oklahoma's going to be really good again. And unlike the last couple times they've been really good, um, this Oklahoma has actually been recruiting really well. And that's actually started like while Scoops was still there. Um, it's continued now that, like, you know, Lincoln Riley has this thing firing on absolutely all cylinders. He's going full in on air raid and he's created something resembling a defense maybe this year uh, with a hell of a lot of guys back. I, I think in general, like this offense has become so plug and play that you can just pencil them in for 40 points a game, you know, and 400 plus yards a game. Uh, the passing game is going to lead the way, but they have a really good rushing attack because the offensive line's so good. Like Bud Elliott's talked about this a little bit on SB Nation uh, from a recruiting perspective that just Oklahoma for a while was recruiting like a top 20 ish level. Um, and you saw those results that if they lost a star player, you know, that's when a, when a major drop off can happen. Now Oklahoma is recruiting at a top 10 level. Um, and you're seeing uh, them able to reload um, much more impressively year over year um, than they were, um, you know, at least for much of the back half of, of Bob Soup's tenure, save the last couple seasons.
1: Yeah, I've seen people talk about it like the difference between recruiting as like a top 10 team and a top 20 team is like the top 20 team, you can have a year where things click, you can compete for a national title, but the depth really reveals itself if anything goes wrong, and that's where Oklahoma was for a bit. And now they're starting to, like, flirt with that top tier. Um, They have more guys, and and the defense has been an issue for a couple years now. Um, I think they made a really, really impressive hire with Alex Grinch, getting him out of Ohio State. Uh, He was a guy who was set to take over as the head coach at Washington State. I'm pretty sure it's been reported um, if Mike Leach was to leave, uh, which he flirts with every offseason. Instead, Mike Leach stayed a couple years ago, Grinch went to Ohio state for a year where he co-OC or co-DC with, uh, but I think he was pretty much running that show. And then he bounced Oklahoma poached him. So, um, he's, uh, he's a a fast riser. He's probably going to be a head coach probably in the next four or five years, unless he, uh, does the thing where he gets paid like a hilarious amount of money to be a coordinator. Um, and I, I, think that'll be a major upgrade from the, uh, the Mike Stoops defenses of the last couple of years, um, with, more depth, uh, a lot of returning talent. Um, offensively, I'm interested to see where Jalen, I think Jalen Hurts is a really good player. Um, I don't think he's going to have the upside of Baker or Tyler Murray, but what people forget about, I think with Hurts, because it's so easy to just like point to him as like a dual threat guy. and He runs really effectively. He is super safe with the football. He does not mm-hmm. make very many mistakes. He barely throws interceptions. I think he had like two, but uh, his last year's starter, Um and you saw the difference between him and, and Tua uh, in terms of, like, talent and just, like, raw ability. But then, like, last year, Hertz stepped in and basically won them the SEC championship when Tua was not playing well and was clearly, like, kind of banged up. Like, Hertz can win pretty much any football team out there. Um, the question is how he slides into that system. Um, but I think he's going to have a lot of weapons. Like, Oklahoma's really, really talented uh, in the backfield. Um, they still have uh, a number of top wide receivers. I think offensive line is going to be the real key on offense. Um, they lose, I think, almost their entire starting line. There's a couple of all all American type players. Um, that's going to be a really difficult adjustment. But having a senior who's mobile like Hurts also helps kind of negate some of those issues. And they've recruited well. Um, so I think I think the offensive line is the biggest question. Hurts. It's a question in that like you don't really know how it's going to look. But I feel pretty confident it'll be at least like you know pretty explosive. Uh, even if it's not as good as the last two quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think Oklahoma's a bit plug-and-play on offense at this point. Um, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to you know, plug in and get you know, Mayfield numbers, but I think he can still put up some pretty respectable uh, numbers, again, like with the supporting cast that you had mentioned. Um, Dan, what do you think about Iowa State this year? I feel like a lot of people are super high on them. I'm super high on them because Matt Campbell, I think, is a really good coach. I think that they've assembled a... Moderate amount of talent, but they've what they've really done well, you know, on a similar level to Syracuse is they, they've they've created depth there too. And I think Iowa State could be a top twenty-five team this year. Um, I know they've competed with that general range for the last couple seasons now under Campbell, but I think this year is one where yeah, they, they could potentially win eight or nine games and maybe even challenge for uh, second place of the Big Twelve.
1: Well, they're pretty well situated at the most important spot. Um, Brock Purdy's a Looks like he has the makings of a very, very good quarterback. He he was really impressive once he took over as starter last year, um, and obviously Campbell's a pretty uh, impressive offensive coach. Um, I I will am yet to see if they will have someone to step into that like crucial number one receiver spot that they for whatever reason have turned into like one of the best spots in college football. Uh, Hakeem Butler was really nasty last year. Uh, they've produced like two or three. Uh, really great receivers in a row. Um, I think we've seen kind of a similar thing at use, uh, with under Babers. Um, and and the two have had kind of similar success after taking over their schools in the same year. Um, they lose uh, David Montgomery in the backfield, who was uh, one of the better running backs in college football. Um, but, you know, when you get your quarterback back and you have at least a complement of, like, somewhat experienced players at the still positions, I, I feel pretty good about you. And then defensively, I think Iowa State's probably kind of underrated, given like they play in the Big 12, so everything's inflated. Um, but I think they've been one of the more reliable units, uh, and and they make some interesting things happen on that side of the ball. So I'm pretty bullish on them. Uh, I'd say eight or nine win. I, eight nine might be a little bit aggressive, but like I think eight wins is a pretty realistic expectation. And then you kind of uh, flux things either in either direction there, based on like how the the chance states, West Virginia's Baylor's are. Like, if those teams are worse, maybe Iowa State to really feed on them and maybe push for 10. If they're competitive, then, you know, a 7-5 and five year might not be terrible based on how strong the conference is.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I, I think for them, the schedule really does lay out pretty nicely in that, um, other than Oklahoma, I think a lot of their easier games are on the road, uh, which makes the home schedule, like, a little bit more advantageous. Like, Texas is a tough one. Oklahoma State's going to be tough, so it was TCU. But – by and large, like, this is definitely a schedule that lays out well for them to win eight games if they can you know, replace the production at running back and, and wide receiver, as you mentioned. I, I think, too, like you mentioned, the defense being a little underrated. Like Looking at like some of Bill C's five factors, explosiveness defensively, they were 31st. Um, and then in terms of uh, finishing drives, they were 34th in terms of adjusted turnover margin. They were projected to be 26. They ended up 85th. So that's you know something that could definitely um, progress to the mean and and be you know a a bit of an advantage this year. Like they didn't. It's not like with Syracuse when we talk about turnovers, where they just far surpassed any sort of projection that that turnovers would have that like around turnovers that you're gonna that it's going to be hard to replicate. I think here they 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 fell short a bit um, based on what we potentially saw thought they could do. Um, this could just mean that a team that, that underperformed turnover wise turns into an average team. And that could mean the difference between, you know, seven or eight wins.
1: Yeah. And that's why it's always, uh, I think, pretty important to look at like um, numbers that are, uh, that account for pace uh, of game and, uh, and whatnot with uh, regards to Big 12 defenses because the raw numbers are always going to look bad pretty much unless a team's like just really incredible because all of these offenses to put up points, even if they're not like great teams. Um, so, and they'll see like, even like Oklahoma uh, last year, which was a pretty bad defense. They were like, you could see where they could, there's, there's room to grow for them because when you actually look at like the, the uh, like the S P numbers, they are a lot more favorable because they take in they that like, Oh yeah, all these teams score a million points because they play super fast. Um, so yeah, Iowa State I think is, is uh, definitely one of the more interesting teams. And Matt Campbell, I I am not convinced that he's long for there. I mean, we there yeah. were plenty of rumors like Ohio State, and obviously they hired internally. Um, there have been NFL rumors, and you can say the same thing about Babers and Syracuse. But um, what he's done at like one of the harder jobs in the bit in Power Five is, is super impressive.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, because we're kind of running short on time because we had to start late today and. Uh, I'm already kind of playing with fire on this end. Uh, Dan, my pick for the Big 12 championship game is, despite my better judgment, um, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think Texas loses too much on defense, and that's going to hurt them. Uh, But I think Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State um, in that title game.
1: Um, I will go Oklahoma-Texas, the uh, obvious pick. Um, but I think that'll be like uh, 11-1 Oklahoma versus like a 9-3 Texas, and I don't think Oklahoma will lose to them in the regular season again. Um, I think Sam is good enough to get Texas to uh, a mid title game and to have another really nice season, but I think they lose too much on the periphery uh, to really challenge the way some people think, and that doesn't mean Texas isn't like back to being a competitor. They just, you know, they lost a lot from last year, and they were very okay. good last year. Um Ellinger's really fun college quarterback, but Oklahoma is going to be better overall. I think Hurts is probably a better college quarterback than Ellinger, and that would make Texas fans really mad at me, And that's fine. <laughs> um, since they're probably not listening to this. Uh, so I will go with the Sooners, although I'm not sure I th- the Sooners are a playoff team this year. Um, I forget what I said on my playoff teams a couple weeks ago, but um, just like where I am now, I'm not convinced that the Sooners are going to make a return trip there.
0: I think they'll get there because I don't think Notre Dame's going undefeated, and I don't think the Pac-12 champ has only one loss. But I think we'll reserve that for a later summer conversation when we get through all the power conferences. Yes, we're
1: still working through. I feel like every week I probably have a different playoff, so just, we're just working through, uh, through this whole thing. Yeah,
0: We're, 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 we're workshopping things as we go. There, there's a lot of messaging that needs to be considered. Uh, <laughs> just, just one day at a time uh anyway dan anything else before we uh depart here
1: no uh i hope everyone enjoys TBT this weekend uh and uh i hope i don't have a cold next week when we do this whenever we do this is i'll be in italy for part of the week so i don't know when that's gonna happen but hopefully i am healthy when it does
0: we will figure it out uh, anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on any other podcast service you listen to us on. And uh, go Bayheim's Army.
1: The Orange Army.